Well, good morning. I would invite you to take your Bibles and open them to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we are this morning. Next week, Lord willing, we'll pick up our study, the Gospel of Luke. Now that we are through the Advent season, and, and I always like to take this uh, first Sunday of uh, the new year just to uh, focus in on something and, and just to prepare uh, our thoughts for the year. And, and, I, and as I was doing that, I, I began to think about the fact that uh, at the beginning of the ministry year in September, we p- put a challenge out to you that we were going to make uh, a single word kind of our, our model for the year, which was engage. We wanted to engage in all areas of life distinctively as Christians, engage our community, engage the world, engage our relationships distinctively as Christians. And so as you know, each month we put out a challenge. So in in September, the challenge was to engage the community. And many of you partook of uh, the challenge, which was to design some kind of way, whether it was through the the boxes with uh, Samaritan's Purse or through collecting food for a a food drive, but some way of involving your neighborhood to uh, collect some goods and, and connect with your neighbors and just start building relationships with people. Many of you did that, and, uh, and reports that have come back have been great. I hope to uh, get some of those out to you so you can hear what happened and hear some of the stories, because it's difficult to uh, live distinctively Christian lives in front of neighbors we haven't met. And so the idea would be to just get to know people, and that was the focus in September. In October, we talked about the world and engaging the world, and what did that mean to, to, to uh, be involved with our missionaries and, and to... Uh, Get to know them and maybe start encouraging them. And so many of you have taken up that. November and December, we talked about relationships and we had a marriage conference to kind of foster godly marriage. And, uh, but we're not done. We're cycling back on these same themes again. And the focus for this January is going to be engaging the world. And next week, I'm going to have some uh, opportunities for us for some missions trips that we can take. So next week, we'll have information on that and just opportunities for you maybe to either go or to be part of sending, but all of us to be part of praying for our church to be involved in some global work. But that's next week. What I want to do this week, though, is I was thinking, because I like to take this first Sunday of every uh, new year and to just set a focus. I thought, you know, maybe what I'd like to do is take this whole thought about engaging the community, engaging the world, engaging what, you know, all of this stuff that we've been talking about, and to put it in perspective for you. In fact, what I'd like to do this morning is put the entire Christian life in perspective for you this morning, so that you can understand the, why we talk about engaging the community and the world and all Why do we talk about this? And what I thought it would be helpful for us to do is to kind of stop for a moment and put in perspective the whole of the Christian life. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, you see, it's easy sometimes to silo the Christian walk into different categories. And sometimes we silo it based on our personality or our station in life. Let me give you a couple examples of this. Some people, they really love world missions, right? They love international missions. They're totally into it. And that's what they live for. And sometimes that's all they think about is just missions, missions, missions. And I've seen some people so much on the missions front that they neglect their family. I've met missionaries that, man, they're going. They're going to the far reaches of the world. and They're dragging their family behind them, right? 
and their kids are resentful, and, and they're, they're raised up where they start resenting the gospel because they see it tearing their family apart. It's like, yeah, they just siloed their life into one area. I've seen other people so silo their life into their family, they forget God's left us here to make Christ's name known to the world. I've seen some people silo their life solely into the church. All that matters is what happens here in the church. And that's it. It's all I live for, just this meeting that we have. See, it's easy to think of just one aspect of the Christian life and to, and to silo your life. Now, they're all important. Church is important. Family is important. Missions is important. All important. So how do we understand the totality of the Christian life? You see, what I'd like us to be thinking about is, I just want to say it this way, we should be thinking about being a whole Christian. A whole Christian. Meaning, I understand the whole of what it means to be in Christ, not just one aspect. And, and here's the reason why this is important. Anytime I silo my life into just one aspect of the Christian life, when the burdens and pressures of the world bear down, I don't have enough resources to carry me through those burdens. Let me give you an example. Maybe I've siloed myself, let's say, on world mission. So I'm out there preaching the gospel. That's all I'm doing. I'm dragging my family to some far reaches of the world. I'm preaching Jesus. And all of a sudden, I have all these family problems going on. It's like, well, all I've thought about is world missions. I never really thought about my family. So now what do I do when my kids are struggling? Or maybe, let's take the other side, I'm so focused on my family, but then everything doesn't turn out at home the way that all the books say it should turn out at home. And suddenly, the little perfect Christian box doesn't exist in my home. What do I do now? Because I've devoted my life solely to that box. Now what? You see, anytime we silo ourselves, we don't have all the resources we need to navigate through the fact that we live in a sinful world, dwelling in a sinful body, surrounded by sinners. That should allow you to recognize there's lots of problems that can come from that. So, what I want us to do is on this first Sunday of the year, look at the whole Christian life. Every aspect of the Christian life has to be seen in light of the whole. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to do that out of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 4 through 12 this morning. Now, I'm going to ask for a little bit of... Uh, of an indulgence of you on this wintry day here, that you would give me a little indulgence. You guys know that when I preach, I like to just walk through the passages and unpack it all for you and show it to you in, in, in that full way. Well, I'm going to ask you a little bit of indulgence to where if you can trust me that I studied this passage that way, but I'm not going to present it to you that way. I'm going to kind of pull some verses out. We're going to stay in this passage, but we're going to bounce around it a little bit. And there's some details I'm going to leave out of the passage. Now, I've studied it. I've taught this passage a lot. And, but yet, we're going to leave a few details out because I just want to highlight a couple of high points that Peter makes. Peter writes this letter to, uh, this, to the church as they are on the front end of persecution. And he needs them to understand what it means to be in Christ. They need to understand what it means to suffer. They need to understand what it means to, to walk in this world that's really complex and difficult. And in this passage we're looking at here today, in chapter 4, I mean, in, yeah, chapter 2, I mean, what Peter does is he, he unfolds for us 
the essence of the Christian life. And I'm just going to kind of skip on the high points, kind of just hit the mountain peaks of this passage, because I want you to see the whole of the Christian life. In fact, you see in your bulletin, there's five aspects of the Christian life that represents the whole of it, five of them. You're called out of the world. You're called into the church. You're called to live as a Christian. You're called to be salt and light, and you're called to make the gospel known. And I want to show you those five areas as Peter unfolds them. So we can put the whole of it together. And then when we're done, I want to show you why it's important that we think about the whole Christian life when we think about our growth as believers. And I think that'd be a good challenge for us as we begin this new year to start saying, yeah, let's, let's live a whole Christian life this year. Not just a, a segmented one, but a whole Christian life. So let's begin. Let's look here at the very first element of the Christian life. The first element of the Christian life, you can see it there, called out of the world. First element. So we're going to fill in these boxes here. We're going to show you the whole of the Christian life. And the first element here is that you're called out of the world. Listen as I read to you verses 9, of, nine and 10 of First Peter chapter 2. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You'll notice that, pat, that, that, that verse there, verse 9, begins with a but, which means it's contrasting something. He's just made a statement there in verses 6 through 8. He's saying Christ is this living stone, and God established the stone. But people rejected it. And they said, I don't want Christ as the foundation of my life. I don't want his life. I don't want his righteousness. I reject it all. And he's saying, now those people, they're destined for destruction. They're stumbling over the rock, and it's not going to be good for them. But, verse 9, you're different. You're different from those who reject Jesus. You're different. Who are you? You're a chosen nation, a possession of God. You're called out of darkness. You're an object of mercy. All of these are Old Testament concepts. And he's saying, listen, here's the idea. When God saves you, he literally is pulling you out of this world. The point of grace is not to allow you to play as close to the world as you can and have the confidence that you're going to heaven. That's not the point of grace. The point of grace is it's calling you out of the world, man. He's pulling you out. To be a Christian means you are a possession of God. He sees you in that dark place as I'm lifting you out. I've shared this illustration in the past with you, but I had a job one time, worked at this place, and, and uh, when I first got hired there, I, there was this girl who worked close to me, and boy, she just partied. She just partied hard. She was just, every Monday, she would come in, I'm so hungover. Oh, I could hardly, my head hurts, and oh, I, I just got so high this weekend. And, and she would talk about all her exploits and all the stuff she did with guys and, and all this just pure pagan lifestyle. And she would, and I'd just be like, don't tell me this. And then one day I had my, a Bible in my briefcase and I put it out on my desk and she goes, Oh, you're a Christian. So am I. I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm like, really? I, really? <laughs> and I, I think I was laughing. I'm like, 
wow, I didn't pick that up, you know? <laughs> totally missed that, you know? And I said, what about your life? I, I, I literally said, what about your life? And she goes, grace, baby, grace. And I'm like, no, that's not grace. That's horrible if that's grace. Grace, man, he's calling you out of darkness. Man, you're owned by God. Your person belongs to Jesus. You're a possession of God. We have to think that way when we think about our Christian life. I don't belong to that anymore. That is not my family. I don't belong to that part of the world. I've been delivered out of it. I've been called out of the world. But there's a second aspect to the Christian life. You're called out of the world, but then there's a second aspect. And the second aspect is that you're called into the church. So there's our second block. We're called into the church. We're called out of the world. We belong to God now. We're his possession. We have to think that way. But then we're called into the church. Our second point, called into the church. So what does that mean? Well, look at verse 4 with me. Just so you're going to bop up a few verses. In verse 4, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now we're stopping the thought there in the middle. This really actually supports the previous point we just made. He's saying, we're coming to Jesus, man, and he is the living stone of our life. Now, I have to explain to you what that whole living stone means so you can understand uh, your, what it means to be in the church, actually. In Isaiah chapter 28, God said he's going to lay this stone in Zion. And this stone was going to be a stone of righteousness, was going to be a stone of justice. So what he's saying is, I'm going to bring to the world righteousness and justice, because right now, Israel is just living for complete paganism in Isaiah 28. You're not living for the purity of God and the holiness of God. and You're not living for that. But I'm going to bring it. And he said, I'm going to bring a cornerstone. And that cornerstone will be righteousness and justice. Now, Peter builds on this, and he says, God did bring that stone, but that stone wasn't actually just a physical stone. It was a living stone, meaning the Messiah came to the world. He died, and he rose from the dead, and when he rose from the dead, he he ushered in life, his very life, his righteousness. And so we know that. When I'm called out of the world, I receive the righteousness of Christ. I'm justified by faith, and I get his righteousness. But then he goes on. We don't want to stop the thought there. He says, now that's true. You're coming to him. He's your living stone. But then he says in verse 5, notice, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you say, now here's what happens. You come to Jesus as your living stone. You get his life. You get his righteousness. But then guess what now? You got Jesus in you. And each one of you then becomes a brick. And what God's doing is he's building a temple with each one of us. And suddenly the temple goes from a physical building in Israel to this building of people that receive the righteousness of Jesus. And now he says, I'm building you up together 
And then together, you're going to offer praise to God. You're all going to be priests. And collectively, you're going to offer praise to God. I remember meeting a man many years ago. And I was talking to him about Christianity. He was, said he was a Christian. And I asked him what church he went to. He said, I don't go to church. I said, why? Because I have no need for the church. I can worship God better alone with my boat and my Bible than I can with other people. And you know what the answer to that is? No, you can't. Because that's not the way God designed it. He didn't design for you to have your Bible in a boat by yourself. He says, I'm building you up into this temple so that collectively you would unify and give praise to God as a holy priesthood. So when we gather together, and this is the joy of singing, we gather all together and we sing these voices, and guess what? Our voices are going off into heaven, and all the angels are saying, what? This is incredible. Look at this building you built down here. You saved all these people, and you placed within them your righteousness, and then you gathered them together, and now we, this group becomes the priesthood, and our songs give praise to God. You could totally see why Satan plays spiritual warfare with music in the church, can't you? He would totally love it if half the room was just sitting there going like this. I'm not going to sing. Right? He would love that because what happened? Some of the building's broken down over here. And I don't want to give my praise to God because I don't like what they're doing. Right? It's all about me. That's what he would love. You see, what, what, what God's going to say, listen, I'm giving you my righteousness. I'm unifying you together. And you're now in the church. That's what it means to be in the church. The church isn't the programs we do. It's the fact that the righteousness of Christ is in me and the righteousness of Christ is in you. And then we gather together and we become this building and together we offer praise to God. There's the church. Now, that's what it means to be a Christian. So, first thing we've learned to be a Christian means you're called out of the world, man. You're not part of that anymore. But now you're part of a brand new building. You're one of the stones in the temple of God. And now in that temple, you are giving praise to God. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? That's the sacrifices of praise. But it doesn't stop there. There's a third element to the Christian life, right? So the first one, called out of the world. Second element, you're called into the church. Now we have a third element. And that third element is you're called to live as a Christian. We could say it this way. You're called to live a distinctively Christian life. A distinctively Christian life. Look at verse 11 with me. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You see, I'm called out of the world, but there's still this battle going on inside of me, right? This battle of the flesh. And there are these passions inside of you. And he's saying, you know what? You're, you're not part of this world. You're a sojourner. You're in exile, right? This is not your home. It's easy to think it is. It's easy to think it's your home. And then what happens is when we think it's our home, we begin to start pursuing it, and then that creates conflict inside of us, huge conflict. 
In fact, if you really look at the internal conflict that you go through in life, most of the time it's because you're, you're trying to find your home and your security in the world. Isn't that true? Let's give you a simple one, simple conflict that you can come through. I could say this. I could say, you know, I want my home to be just this peaceful place that I can be restored. And that's, that's a good thing, right? I come home from a busy day. I want to just go home and, and relax. And you come home and things are breaking down and things aren't happening, right? And you're working. It's just, oh, it's, and it, you know, and then people are upset and there's some emotions flying here and a little bit of anger over there. And, and you're like, man, what is this? Can't I just come home and have some peace? You can feel that way inside, right? You can have that. You're all just looking at me like you've never felt that. Come on. I know you felt that. Don't, don't lie. All right. Well, what's going on when you feel that way? What's going on? I'm saying I want 100% Sabbath rest now. I want this space to be heaven now. And if I don't get it, I'm going to be mad as a hornet. See, that flesh. Instead of saying, you know what, God? I live in a sinful world, and I'm just to be displaying Christ all the time. Heaven is my rest. Give me focus to show love now. Give me a heart to endure now to the end. Right? You see, the, 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 but that desire for heaven now is so strong, it breeds conflict. And so he says, abstain from this. When he's talking about the fleshly lusts, he's not just talking about things like pornography. What he's talking about is any place where we have hope centered on this world. I expect Heather to be the perfect wife, and if she fails me, I'll get mad at her. I expect my kids to be the perfect kids, and if they fail me, then I get mad at them. I expect my you guys to be the perfect flock, to never do anything wrong. And if you don't do it, you know, and then if you do, I get mad, right? If I can start getting this hope that things are going to be heaven here right now, then when it doesn't turn that way, there's a conflict that goes inside of me. So he says, listen, I want you to abstain from any time I'm centering and making this world the resolution to all my life's problems. And he says, listen, abstain from this. In fact, I was doing a little study a while back on this. And I was looking in the scriptures of the flesh. How was the flesh defined in the Bible? When you use the term the flesh, came up with five ways that the flesh is defined in the Bible. There's probably more. These are just five. Let me give them to you here. The flesh, that part of our sinful man, the first thing, it adopts the philosophy of living for the pleasant, oops, present pleasures. Right? Ecclesiastes 8.15. The flesh says, listen, I am living for joy and pleasure right now. That's what I live for. I want to have fun now. I want to enjoy it now. I don't want to wait for it. I want it all now. That's that element then that pushes people into sexual immorality and other things. I want it all now. I don't want to wait. Second element of the flesh. It focuses on earthly treasures, not heavenly treasures. Matthew 6, 19 and 21, right? It focuses on, on earth, earthly treasures. I'm living, I'm finding my joy in money and stuff and a house and car, stuff I'm dreaming about now. That's the flesh, right? Earthly treasures. 
The flesh in the Bible is also defined this way, living for the approval of others rather than God. Right? I don't want to let people down. I don't want people to think bad of me. I don't want to, whatever. I'm, I, I need the approval of others rather than the approval of God. That's the flesh. The flesh is defined in Galatians 5 as just deeds, the deeds of the flesh. Those would just be all the things you typically would think of, immorality, drunkenness, carousing, all this kind of just pagan lifestyle. But ultimately, the flesh opposes God and does not love him. 1 John 2.15. He's saying, listen, to be in the body of Christ, to be a Christian, means that you abstain from the flesh. What does that mean? Abstain means this. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be tempted. It doesn't mean that at all. What it means, though, is that I begin the process of backing away, identifying it, backing away from it. That's what he means by it. It, it, it literally means that, that, I like to say it this way, I'm going to start using the tools God gave me to deal with the flesh. Right? There, there are tools. Let me give you six of them quickly. I don't think they'll be up on the screen. But here are six tools that he's given. First, he gives us the conviction of the Spirit. You do know there's that little thing inside of you that says, don't do that. You're thinking wrongly, right? You've heard that voice. That's a tool of God. That's the Spirit of God convicting you. There's also warnings. That's a second element. Just read your Old Testament. If you have any question about any kind of sin and the impact of that sin, just read any historical book in the Old Testament. You will see almost every sin put on display and what happens when you pursue that. Read the warnings. There is Scripture itself. The Scripture is what changes our minds and how many of us struggle with sin and how little time we spend filling our minds with Scripture there are teachers, right? There's teachers. That's the fourth thing. There are people who teach us. People are great books out helping us and great teachers out there. We are loaded with them. Another element, there's confession of sin. There's actually saying what God says about your sin. Not just, oh God, I struggled, but how about God, I violated the gospel and betrayed my family. And what, just start calling your sin what it really is. Confess it. And then the biggest one is the body of Christ. Did you know that part of being this holy temple is that we get to bear one another's burdens? But when you're in sin, what you want to do is run and hide from the body of Christ. But they're the ones that are designed to help us carry. See, those are the tools. Saying abstain, use the tools to start dealing with this issue in your heart. Why? Because we've been called out of the world to not only be in this church, but then to live distinctively Christian lives. To live as one who's being changed by the power of God. To no longer living for the lusts that bring nothing but conflict and pain to this world. We abstain from it. Now, it's easy to stop the Christian life there, isn't it? It's easy to stop and say, okay, I'm out of the world. I'm in the church. I'm dealing with my sin. And sometimes we kind of think that's the cycle. Out of the world, in the church, deal with your sin. That's it. Stops there. But there's more to the Christian life than that. There's a fourth element, right? So you're called out of the world, called into the church, called live a Christian life, but then fourthly, you're called to be salt and light. You're called to be salt and light. Just look at verse 12. Notice what he says in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. You can insert the word unsaved there if you want. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, 
so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So see, now, now, God intended for the righteousness that he placed within us to actually have an impact in the world. That's why Matthew 5 says, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. You are actually intended to impact the world around you. That is what you've been called to do. And the righteousness that he's working within us is actually intended to have an impact. And Peter actually references two impacts. The first impact he references right here when he says, when Christ returns, Jesus will be worshipped. Now, what's the connection? So, you, say you're at work, you got this really hard, hard boss who's just a pain, driving you, driving you, driving, being unfair, taking advantage of you, and everything inside of you it just brings up the flesh, and you want to just take your boss down. Everyone wants to take him down. And you go somewhere, you're in another room, you're in someone else's office, and they're all just saying, man, we got to take this boss down. You're like, yeah, I'll lead the fight. You know, Braveheart, freedom! Right? I'm going to lead us to victory. Right? Paint my face, put on a kilt, and I'm going after him. Right? You can feel that way. You want to take him down. That's what your flesh is saying. What the gospel is saying, serve your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Never gossip. Don't ever do that. Speak words that are fitting, loving. And everything inside of you is like, oh, that's so hard, okay? Conflict, right? There's that flesh that's raging up inside of you. But he's saying, now listen, if your contact is gospel-driven at work, and yeah, you might be taken advantage of by your boss, you might not get the raise you, you deserved, you, might be, you could even be fired. You could lose this world. But when Christ returns and your boss sees the living stone, the righteousness of God emerge, and your boss then makes the connection between Christ and the way you lived, his knee will drop and your boss will say, you are the king. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And you can be a part of that process, Peter's saying. When the return of Christ happens, your righteousness, the righteousness that is flowing through you of the gospel, the righteousness that says, I'm going I'm to give a gospel response here, can actually produce worship at the end of the age. Peter goes on, actually, later, and he says not only that, but if you were to kind of read through the end of chapter 2 going into chapter 3, he even says sometimes that gospel can even be used by God for God to save people. In fact, that testimony is so strong that a, a Christian wife, if she's just living the gospel in front of a horribly pagan husband, can actually proclaim the gospel enough to save him. Without even opening her mouth, that's how powerful it is. That's what he's saying. Man, let that righteousness flow through you because it can have an impact. It'll have an impact on the end of the age, but it can even have an impact right now because that person could be drawn to Christ. You see, this is that part of the Christian life that we miss, and, and because we miss it, it, creates all kinds of conflict. 
Because it's like, why is my job going so bad? Or why did this happen? Or why did this happen in my home? Or why does this happen at work? Or why does this happen in my neighborhood? Or why all these people? Why, why am I suddenly surrounded by all these pagans when all I want is a good Christian life? I'll tell you why you're surrounded by all them. Because God has intended for you to let your behavior shine in front of them that they may see your good works so that you would be part of God's plan to bring worship at the end of the age. It's a good thing. It's hard. But Jesus did say, if you're willing to lose your life on this side of eternity, you'll gain it on the other side. But if you'd rather forfeit eternity and have it all now, you can have it for a season, but it will go away. So he says, you've been called to be salt and light. Now, so we're called out of the world, called into the church. We're called to live a distinctively Christian life so that we would be salt and light where we live. But there's a fifth part. There's a fifth part. We've also been called to make the gospel known. We've also been called to make the gospel known. Matthew says it this way, records Jesus saying, I want you to go to all nations making disciples of all nations. But I want to see how Peter describes it. We're going to go back to verses 9 and 10 again. Just jump back up there. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's saying you have been given the mercy of God. Now go proclaim it. Make it known. You're an object of mercy. You were destined for hell and God rescued you. How can you hold that in? How could you hold that in? Why don't you stop and think about this? Silly illustration. But let's just say some car dealership here in town had 20,000 cars on their lot. And they said, free to the first 20,000 people. You walk by, you saw that sign, free. Would you call someone who needed a car? (laughs) Right? I think we'd put an announcement in the bulletin. Hey, if you get over to the dealership, (laughs) right? There'd be an email blast. Get over, you get a free car. Right? We would announce this great news. If somebody had a broken down car, you'd call and say, listen, you can get a car free today. Go over there, you'll get it. You'd be giving it away. I know you would. You'd be calling everybody you knew. That's how we are with good news. That's how we are. I mean, the whole point, I mean, you think about how many of these kind of deals that go on Groupons and things, and people Facebook them and send them out and tweet them, and we're constantly letting everybody know all these great things that happen. And we're updating everybody on everything in our life. And your kid takes the first step and you videotape it. You put a link on YouTube and then you Facebook your link. And and you let everybody know, here's the first step of my child. you got to see this. It's so cool. And he's saying, but you've also received the mercy of Almighty God. You have got to make that known. You cannot say, no, 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 no. I haven't been called to make that known. How could you hold on to that? How could you keep that information? We're so out there with everything else. You cannot hold that one in. God is merciful. God loves to save people. 
And he wants us to tell people that. And he wants us to tell, you know what, I was once a a child of wrath, destined for hell, and God mercifully saved me. He pulled me out of this pit. He's given me his righteousness. He's working out all the junk in my life. He's being so patient with me. And he can be with you. He can be with you. You see, we've been called to make him known. This is why Jesus said, you've got to go to all nations. You start telling people this. Make it known. That's the whole Christian life. So, the entire point of the Christian life is that we would understand all these pieces. So what are they? Let's just look at them here. You're called out of the world. You're not part of that world anymore. You're called into the church. We're gathered together as stones that together we'd be priests offering up worship to God. We're called to live a distinctively Christian life to abstain from that inner flesh that makes us want to love this world more than God. We've been called to be salt and light that we would go to the unsaved world that is difficult to live with and painful to be around at times to reflect the gospel. And we've been called to proclaim the mercy of God. That is the whole Christian life. So when we look at this and we see this, I want you to grasp this because when you see all five of these areas, I believe life starts to make sense. It really does. Suddenly, if you can think of the whole of the Christian life, you can always have a category for whatever event you're going through. You can always have a category. Let me give you an example. Driving home from work, you get home, drive in, you walk in the house, there's chaos. You start getting upset about the chaos. You start wanting to control everything. I'm going to get it my way. I'm going to get it my way. And then you start saying, why is there so much conflict at home? Oh, wait a minute. I'm trying to make this home my eternal home. I'm looking for more out of my home than what God designed my home to give me. I need to abstain from that fleshly lust. Why isn't my spouse walking with God? Why don't I have that kind of marriage? Because God wants you to display the gospel to that person. I want to go to the mission field. Let's go, honey. We're going. Hold on a minute. Husbands, love your wives. Are you shepherding her? Are you there? We're just so involved in the church. It's all we do is we get involved in the church. Yeah, but have you remembered your neighbors? Do you love your children? Are you doing so much that you're not at all spending any time with your kids to invest into them? You see, suddenly, all of the tensions that come with whatever silo, whatever little box I'm standing on, I can suddenly say, wait a minute, I can put all of life in perspective. And so I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this circle here. I want you to think about all these points and then start asking yourself, wait a minute, as I'm processing the next crisis, what box am I forgetting? What box am I forgetting? As I'm processing the next problem, what box? Because you see, God wants us to think like a whole Christian. So the challenge For us, the thought for the year to begin this year is to think through, God, am I a whole Christian? Do I love all those boxes? Do they define me in my home, in my family? And then the challenge is to say, let's let all of that define you. All of it. Bow your head with me. Let's pray.
that that would be true in our lives. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you, God, that this gospel is so powerful that it calls us out of the world, calls us to be in the body of Christ. It changes us to deal with our sin. It makes us testimonies of grace to the lost. And it burdens us to proclaim the gospel to the world. Lord, may we as your people be marked by those things. Allow us to be your possession, collectively offering praises to you, aggressively dealing with our flesh, committed to being testimonies of righteousness to the lost that are around us, and courageous enough to proclaim your name everywhere, all the time. Define us by that, God, that we might be a whole Christian. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.